the fictional apartment, it it has an impressive film and TV pedigree. Um, I'm thinking Jimmy Stewart with his his long lens to the Greenwich Village glass in Rear Window, or or the reconstructed mid-century marvellousness of Don Draper's Park Avenue penthouse, Mad Men. Felix, Oscar, uh, for anyone old enough to remember that particular odd couple, uh, which takes us, this sequence, upwardly mobile to the Upper West Side and the Arconia building, a lead player in the streaming smash hit, Only Murders in the Building. This doesn't make sense. Where do we start? At the very beginning. I got in the elevator with these two weirdos. Then Tim got in the elevator. Approximately 12 minutes from now, I will be murdered. Tim Kono's death has been ruled a homicide. And apparently one of you jerk-offs did it. The stars are Steve Martin, Martin Short and Selena Gomez, but equal billing uh, surely has to go to the the building itself uh, and its various and exquisitely detailed interiors and the creator behind this piece of of televisual magic is Kurt Beach, uh, Emmy-nominated production designer for Only Murders in the Building. Kurt, welcome. Thank you for having me. And congrats on the nomination. Thanks. It's a it's a gigantic honor. We're very excited. The whole team is is really excited about it. And um, going out to LA with my wife and my daughter, and going to go to the ceremony. We're we're really excited. Where no doubt you will win. I'm, I'm I have this a very good authority. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad to know that, Alfred Harrison. <laughs> you must. How, how do you define this role, production designer, in a show like this? Where, where does it begin? Well, it starts with any good show, which is a, a good script. And without that, you're kind of lost. And what makes this show so special is that the script is extremely detailed to start with. And so much of what we needed to know to create you know, a visual landscape for the show was contained in the words that they they speak and the relationships and, you know, in the stage direction that's also in in the script itself. And, you know, that that's what I'm always looking for is a script that's really strong and really evocative and gives me something to work from. And it's about characters. You know, the characters are the key here, that's that's where the detail comes from. Well, and, and character, as you say, is is critical in this in this particular show. But that that character is so much drawn from their environment. I mean, these the two things work very closely. There's definitely a, a positive feedback loop between the two things on this show, and I think that's it's one of the things that makes it unique. And you know, it's interesting. There's 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 a loneliness to these three characters that mm. I think is really heartfelt. And I think it's something that the audience kind of could latch on to when this first started, you know, having come out of, you know, various lockdowns all over the world. And uh, so it's something that we immediately identified with these characters. And I don't, I don't know if that was intentional or not on John Hoffman's part, but it's, 
you know, it, ga- it gave us people who we knew and understood immediately. And in this beautiful building, the Ar- Arconia, which is in fact the the Bell Nord building in the Upper West Side, Manhattan, mm-hmm. it in itself is is a thing of, of of great exquisiteness. I mean, describe that for those who've not seen the show, and, and I'm guessing, Kurt, our, our audience divides into two kinds of people: uh, enthusiastic fans of the show, and and those who will be enthusiastic fans of the show. But just describe that that building for us that becomes the Arconia. It's a very special kind of building in New York, the central courtyard apartment building with a with a gated entry. There aren't very many of them in the city. So we went and scoured the last remaining examples of this unicorn in the city. And um, that includes uh, Clinton and Russell's Apthorpe building, the Graham Court. The Apthorpe is, Apthorpe is in the same neighborhood as uh, the Bell Nord. Um, we looked at the Ansonia by William Stokes and Paul Dubois and also Henry Haydenberg's Dakota, the Dakota mm. where John Lennon, Yoko Ono, of course, lived. Um, she still lives there, I think. Uh, so we looked at all of these and, and we looked at the details and then you know we, we needed a really good exterior that we could use and the Bell Nord was the bell of the ball. It is the best looking of them all, I think. What tipped it about its particular style? It's the entryway. It's this. It's these beautiful gates, these arches that lead into the to the building. Um, it's a simple edifice. There's not a lot of decorations. It's not overly done. It was recently restored by Robert Am Stern, and you know, it's 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 got the history, but it has a cleanliness about it that's very cinematic. And the interiors, I, I, I've seen floor plans of, of some floor. And this, this is the building which, which covers a block, doesn't it? I mean, this is a substantial. Yeah, the whole city, the whole city block, yeah. I mean, the interiors of it, these are pretty sumptuous apartments. I mean, you, you're not taking too much of an architectural liberty, I suspect, with the ones that you've recreated on the Only Murders in the Building soundstage. Well, that's the nice thing about it is that these buildings have very long histories. So you have people whose families lived in these apartments and they've been passed down, you know, through renovations and and they've added on to the places when they've had their money and they've contracted the spaces when they've lost their money. So it's, you know, it tells a whole story, just the size of the apartment and the layout of the apartment and whether it retains the original details, then you know it's of a certain vintage and you can tell when people renovated, like when they actually were solvent enough to do renovations. And all these things go into our thinking about how we present them. So in that way, the whole time the team is thinking about this as a period piece. Everything we did was was thinking of it as a period piece. And are you trying to create something which is architecturally plausible within that building? Well, I don't care too much about that. No, yes, of course. <laughs> of course we are. We we start with with plans that, you know, we studied from these original buildings and from the history of these buildings. And then we work out from there. You know, I, I haven't been in an apartment that actually has a stage in it, but it certainly makes sense <laughs> for Oliver. And you know, Charles's apartment is of a reasonable size for a bachelor who had a great deal of money in the 90s as a as a TV star. And then, 
Mabel's place is a bit more mysterious and strange, but it's once again, it's that family history that you see in her place. And it's a, it's a strange and, and mysterious family history that's, that's revealed because we really don't know what the apartment is going to be. Just like we don't know what she's going to be. She's going to be. Yeah. They're both are a work in progress. Uh, and exactly. this makes, this makes me think, I mean, production design, it's, it's a kind of physical method acting. I mean, there is, there is an utter commitment to some kind of truth. Physical method acting. I'm writing this down because I'm going to use that from now until the day I die when I talk about production design. It's yours. Um, <laughs> it's totally, that's exactly what it is. Um, because we do have to think about every single thing that the audience sees or might see. You know, it's not, you know, there are things that the audience doesn't, get to see that we that we put in and every one of those is a choice we make all those choices as a team as a group of collaborators with you know bringing in the the writers often and the showrunner of course you know and creator is always the first person we go to to check our choices and see if we've you know gone too far or haven't gone far enough and it's all to create something that's real maybe more real for the characters than it is for, you know, living in reality, but it has to be believable for the world that they live in. And I think that's, that's where it hits the mark on the show. I'm kind of interested in the process here. And I'm thinking, you, you know, you've, you've mentioned Kurt, the, the script, what is there around that that goes to the development of character? How much annotation is there around those characters? And then I wonder how much do you then go and write around those sort of lines of character development as well? I write a lot. Um, my book is more written words. My sketchbook has more written words than drawn pictures in it hmm. um, because I spend most of my time thinking about who they are and what's important and what thematically I want to convey than what pretty pictures are going to come from it. Uh, I was, I was an English major. So this is my background is like knowing how to read things and extract things from material, not fine art where it's, you know, making something look beautiful. That, that comes later for me. I have to write about it and I have to think about it the way that the writers think about it. Also, so, you know, I'm mining, I'm constantly mining the script for little details, you know, there's something as simple as a line where, you know, that's in the, uh, the trailer where Oliver asks, do you not see this coat? Yes. Right. He's yes. This line. Like that tells so much about the character in one very simple throwaway line. He is, he has a flamboyance about him and a, and a dramatic streak, right? So how do we convey that visually in the way that he lives? And then, you know, everything comes out from there. When Charles walks into Mabel's apartment and says, who are you? You know, like he, there has to be a moment where the audience is go also going, what the hell kind of place is this person living in? Hmm. What motivates him to say that line? We have to fill in all of those blanks around the lines of dialogue. I mean, you're imagining a complete physical reality for these people, as you say, based on, on, on the slimmest of clues. Yeah, that's the fun of it. That's the joy in the job. That's, 
that's what I wake up for every morning. At what point does it does it jump out of the verbal? At, at what point do you then have to, and how do you do this, start make that physically manifest? It's research. Lots and lots of research about everything and anything that goes on around and in these spaces. So it's, you know, it starts in a plan, in a ground plan. And that's what I was talking about earlier, where we study the ground plans of these buildings. So we dive right into that first and try and figure out an arrangement that makes sense. And then you latch on to a detail that, that seems to help you into another part of the world. For example, the, you know, the stage in Oliver's place. That was one of the first things we decided on in the, in the ground plan and just sort of how the, the space flowed in his apartment. Once we knew that there was a man who had a stage in his apartment, you know, (laughs) we had decided a lot. So that makes a lot of things possible. Immediately, the next choice is there's going to be a piano, right? Of course. What is a piano going to look like? So we start thinking about, you know, what kind of piano is this going to be? Is it, you know, we thought at one point it might be like a lacquered white piano. And then we're like, eh, it's a bit too far, right? So you test all of these choices and see where you've, where you've hit the mark and where you've you know, gone beyond where you should go. And so much, as you say, that is seen and, and perhaps not seen. That's, mm. Is that a, a treat for the returning viewer or just a subtlety that only the participants on the set are going to pick up that might in some way inform what they're doing? Well, I'll tell you, there's a there's a closet in Oliver's foyer, and I don't know if it's ever been opened. <laughs> but in this, clo- I, I haven't watched season two myself. But we built this closet out that is a dog closet for the dog, and it's full of costumes for the dog, and all the dog stuff is in there. <laughs> I don't think it's ever been opened, and we didn't tell anybody about it really, except John. And uh, the actors haven't found it, to my knowledge. So there it sits. The the dog Um, is saying, come on, guys. (laughs) Yeah, right. The dog is all over it. But inside this closet, for example, are there's references to to Marty and Steve's work together. So there's there's one of those arrow through the head, you know, head pieces (laughs) for the dog inside the closet. There's also a sombrero for the dog in the closet. So we put some tongue-in-cheek things in there as well. But I don't know. Maybe season three, they'll open the damn door to the closet. <laughs> well, it's, they will be building to that moment, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope they find out about it. <laughs> that, Steve Martin, Charles, in, in the show, there, there is a very famous Paul Smith swatch, which has informed a lot of the interior of his apartment. Yes. Yes. This one piece of fabric became everything to us. It was, uh, we were trying to figure out how we were going to make it playfully sophisticated, his space. And, um, so we did some research into some different designers and we kept coming back to Paul Smith. And then we found this piece of fabric that was the perfect mix of playful and sophisticated and it's this beautiful stripe on a dark background it's dark blue background it had all these great colors in it and so we decided to anchor the whole apartment with the sofa 
uh, in that fabric. And then it gave us the whole palette for the rest of the space. It was, um, without it, I don't know what the place would look like. Well, what, one of the, the notable things about the place is some of the pieces of art around the walls. And, of course, Steve Martin is himself something of a collector. Could, could, he, could he help himself? Did he impose his own taste on the pieces that were in that apartment? I mean, I knew this going in, so I did ask John to ask him. And we, we, had, a, we had one meeting at the begin, very beginning, and, and I had presented some of these art possibilities to him. And... You know, to his credit, he was like, well, you know, this piece costs X number of millions of dollars. I don't think Charles would have <laughs> that. You know, it's just a little bit too nice. Like we were looking at Agnes Martin and we were looking at Cy Twombly also, who are a bit out of his range. So we scaled back a little bit and then we looked at um, Alex Katz, which was a little bit more attainable if you go back you know, into the 90s when Charles was making his money. And then you look at Ed Ruscha, also works on paper, a little bit less than an oil on canvas, right? You know, when he was making his money back then, we made up a whole story for the, the Ed Ruscha, for example, that he met him when he was in LA. They became friends. He went to the studio and he sold him a piece out of the studio that you know, at a reasonable price. And here it sits in, in the kitchen and it's, you know, it's appreciated into the six digits. It's not <laughs> something he can, you know, retire off of, but, but it was, yeah, it shows that he has an eye and that he, you know, saw something of value when he, you know, he knew it when he saw it, you know. There's beautiful verisimilitude in all of this. And I mean, one of the nice things too about the show is that the, you know, the range of interiors, that, that sort of visual vocabulary and, and the visual characters of the thing expand as, as we yeah. meet a new person, we meet their interior. It, that, that's a really nice sort of feature, I think. It's great. And the challenge of those other ones is that you have much less time to mm. tell the same amount of story. So you really have to cram it all in and sort of beat the audience over the head with it gently. What hits the eye first, do you, do you imagine, as you know, as, as a watcher? As, as you see a shot, you know, there's your character, there's this space. What are people taking in of that that background? Well, I mean, there is a strike zone. There is this, you know, there is this area between the knees and, you know, a, a foot above the head where you're always trying to sort of load things up, right? And find, you know, that that is where you experience most people if they're sitting in a chair, if they're standing up, it's that, you know, it's that range in there. So that's where the shots tend to land. So hmm. wall, wall coverings are very important. Pieces of art are very important and are an opportunity for you to lean into storytelling in a big way. Um, so, you know, we start, we start there and then, you know, how messy is the character? How, how sloppy are they? How organized are they? Um, all those, those character choices, um, come into, you know, how you, how all of us live in our spaces and also for these people. And it's the little things, Kurt. I think if there's, if there's something that for me is, is a thing of beauty, beauty that, that suggests a whole... A whole life. It's the use of the New Yorker font in the credits and titles. Oh, it's the best. It's the best. The, the title sequence is absolutely sumptuous. And Laura Perez, who um, helped with that, is 
an illustrator for the New Yorker and other publications. She is an astoundingly good illustrator. And she also gave us the art for the mural that Mabel draws and all of Mabel's um, artwork, her personal artwork is Laura Perez's drawings. Um, hmm. She was an incredible find by the producers. And then, you know, we were able to convince her to, to help us with these other elements as well. Um, it gives, you know, unity to the whole look of the show because you have the credit sequence matching the artwork matching the mural and it's it's i've never had that happen before that's a, a beautiful pull together isn't it where the line draws you know so so cleanly through everything kurt it's been an absolute treat to make thank you so much for this expansive amount of your time thanks it's been great i really appreciate it kurt beach he's about to be uh, awarded an emmy for production design <laughs> of the the fabulous only murders in the building Second series has just reached its climax, so there's there's stuff to binge there, and I, I, I heartily recommend. It's easier than ever to hear your favourite local and national ABC radio stations, live and on demand on the ABC Listen app.